and welcome to this short black episode of Take It Black. I'm Rachel Hocking coming to you from Camaragal land in Sydney's north. In this episode, I caught up with Rudgery descendant Tara June Winch from her home all the way in France. And if you haven't heard, just last week, she took out the Miles Franklin for her novel, The Yield. Now, the Miles Franklin is, of course, the most prestigious literary award in Australia. So it's pretty bloody deadly to see a First Nations woman take it home. She also kept some fine company on the shortlist. Carrie Tiffany, John Hughes, Peggy Frew, Philip Salom. And it was actually the first time two black authors appeared on the list with Tony Birch also representing for his incredible novel, The White Girl. Now, Tara's novel, The Yield, it deals with ancestral connection to country and the importance of her mother tongue, Wiradjuri. It's beautifully told through many perspectives, including a woman named August and her grandfather, Albert Poppy Gondawindi, whose burial calls August back home. In her journey, Australia's violent colonial history clashes from the past to the present to the future. It's a familiar story to many mob. A mining company threatens country and, as can so often be the case, cultural and family ties are tested. If you haven't grabbed yourself a copy of The Yield, you should add it to your winter reading stack right now. In this yarn you're about to hear, Tara talks with me about what it's like to have success come amid a global health pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as the future for First Nations literature and languages. She started by telling me what it was like when she first heard she'd won the Miles Franklin. It was a bit overwhelming, to be honest, and also it just didn't feel correct um, because, you know, Uncle Tony Birch is on the shortlist too with his beautiful, tender novel, The White Girl, um, and it's not really a cultural way to pit each other, pit ourselves against each other, but I think, um, you know, I talked to Tony and um, have sort of come to terms with it since then, and I think it also signals that, um this is the future like we're going to see our mob on award lists together because we're publishing more we're publishing at such a um you know a quality level uh, it's a really humble response and i've heard you say it before about what it's like to have this novel um sort of go on tour alongside the white girl for the past year at all these literary festivals and both acknowledged what is it like? Uh, you've said, you know, more and more we're seeing our mob on lists together and, and this will continue to happen at a higher rate. What's it like to stand alongside writers like Tony and also to come off the back of people like Melissa Lukashenko winning just last year? No, it's great. We, we do have um, the First Nations Writers Network in Australia. We do have a really strong community and we always have. Um, since I first started you know, publishing in 2005, They've been there with me um, and others, you know, Alexis Wright is there for for, for the community, um, Bori Monty Pryor. You know, we're all super first and I could just talk all day about who's there for each other. We, we're there. We're there for the next generation too. Um, that's important, you know, to have a community in, in whatever art form 
you, you're practicing. And ours is strong. Our, the appreciation, you know, the public uh, reception of our work has changed in that time, in the last 15 years. It has changed, you know, markedly. I think it's changed in, in the arts, in music and theatre and television as well, where our voices are being platformed. It's being normalised to see our stories in, in different formats. Um, and, yeah, in literature, you know, it's taken a while, um, but we're, we're, not, we're, we're just going to keep going. <laughs> it's very different to, like you said, about this idea uh, that comes with literary awards that it, they often pit people against each other and you have this mindset that it's about the individual but obviously with any writing from um, blackfellas across this country any art it always comes with our community as well like i think our books our books are always political and our books are always um i think a community effort i think that's important to note that some books uh, you can't really be the individual author, even though it has your name on the cover. You know, this this book is about the work of, of the community. It's about, you know, the linguistic work of Dr Uncle Stan Grant Sr. and the linguist John Rudder. It's about the elders that have worked to reclaim the Wiradjuri language. That's why it's important to have, for some works, um, benefit sharing, so making sure the community receive, you know, a portion of um, royalties to continue that language work as well. Yeah, so that's important to me, to make sure, you know, the future where we're working not just with publishers to have more in-house um, representation, but working with where our stories come from, how we can, you know, elevate our our story, our languages, our, our needs, our wants, our passions and, and our voices in general. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it, to say that it's about the benefit sharing of the work and, and making sure that you bring up the community with you in any success that you have. I heard you saying um, in your interview the other day after you'd won that you only had 15 minutes to write your you know, incredible speech that you gave, um, but that that came with anger, you know, anger that you had to write it so quickly, but also anger at what, what this year has brought up. And I think it must be pretty strange to have, you know, a book like The Yield awarded at, you know, nearly every major literary award and to come out in a year where we've had a health pandemic, global health pandemic, we've had the Black Lives Matter movement resurface in some ways bigger than it's ever existed before. We've had uh, the bushfires only last summer where so many of our communities were devastated. What has it been like for you to have all of this success amid everything that's going on? Uh, yeah, bittersweet, you know. Um, and also it comes with, you know, it's a lot of responsibility to be um, in the media this year. You know, it's a lot. It's exhausting um, psychologically, emotionally, physically even. You know, there's this quote that I've got, um, around by Nunaku, so she said, let us not be bitter, that is an empty thing, a maggot in the mind. But I think what happened this year is we, we were bitter, we did respond, Black Lives Matter matters in Australia, we needed the rest of the country to listen, you know. 
Um, we grew up with all the cautionary tales. We grew up with listening about deaths in custody and knowing about it. We grew, grew up with Pauline Hanson being um, platformed above all our reasonable voices. We grew up with 100 committees established um, on our behalf and dis disabled without our consent, you know, and mines and lands and rivers running dry. We grew up with it all and that cautionary tale and when is it going to change, you know? It's a, we're angry. We're bitter this year. I think um, that anger has come out in so many different ways. We've seen it marching on the street and uh, alongside that we're seeing... Um, different kinds of responses from the mainstream. Obviously, we're seeing more non-Indigenous people march alongside us than we have in a long time. And part of that has also been a you know renewed interest in everything that black people create, including more people buying books by Indigenous authors in this country. Do you feel good about that, uh, that change that has come with everything uh, this year, even though there is so much hurt and tragedy that has to be connected to the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, I just say it's about bloody time. Like we've been, you know, I can only speak for in my industry, um, but, you know, I know we didn't just come out of nowhere the last decade. We've got a, a really powerful back catalogue for people to look into. You know, our literature was born out of a response to the civil rights movement. Um, there's such great work you know, to to read and engage with and publishers should be reissuing a lot of this work that's gone out of print. Um, I mean, it's important. The tools are there. We've written the tools. We've sung the tools. We've, we've created the tools for white Australia and non-Indigenous Australia to, to hear our voices, you know. Um, so if it's, if it's this year, if it's finally now, um, let it be the line in the sand, you know, let it be... Let it continue. This year also is the 250th anniversary of Captain Cook's landing at Botany Bay. We knew that we were going to see a renewed interest in uh, the history of this country and uh, the invasion or settlement of this country and, and people's versions of that history. What role would you like to see non-Indigenous Australians playing in our process of truth-telling right now? We just need ears and allies you know, and to be standing with us on the street, signing the petitions, you know, pushing for governments to enact change in whatever that means for different communities because we're not one united voice in many ways. So um, just listening, you know, this might be a time for, for reflection and sort of and, you know, decolonising their education and, and the lies that, um, pervade, you know, in mainstream media still today and in the education system. So I think they, what's important for the rest of Australia is to undo the lie, you know, um, because if they're just walking alongside us because they think it's sort of the moment to do it, um, some sort of obligation, you know, it's it's it'll it'll be that, you know, that tired trope of losing momentum, you know, on our social justice issues. It need They need to have an internal change, you know, an internal um, respect, an internal, you know, becoming uh, what this nation is about, an internal attachment to us, be proud of our um, 
of our culture, of our First Nations people, of our language, of our brilliance, of our excellence, you know, and and an acceptance that sovereignty was never ceded, you know, they're visitors on this country. So I, just, I think the um, core work is very internal at this moment, you know. I want to talk about some of the changes you speak to or look to in your novel you say you were inspired very heavily you know by the work of Dr Uncle Stan Grant Senior uh, his work writing the Rudgery Dictionary uh, and bringing back your language and reawakening it uh, do you think we're seeing our languages normalized more today as opposed to when you grew up or when Dr Uncle Stan Grant grew up Oh yeah, completely. I I went to um, on Larrakee country in Dal. I went to the Palima Indigenous Languages and Technology Conference last year, last August, and um, got to see you know the actual work on the ground in communities, community-led um, language programs from around the whole country. It's incredible the work that's being done. Um, and then we've got First Languages Australia and you know, um, the Away program and Indigitube, I mean, there's just, they're, they're, it's there, all the, all the people that are actually working on the ground are there and they're working really hard, you know, um, in language reclamation and preservation. Um, it's what I think is going to make the big change is the education systems and the curriculum writers coming together with community to implement you know a structure of language learning and engagement from a really young age you know we've got preschool kids that are um you know have these language programs for chinese japanese greek which is all well and good but if they're if you could have that replaced or alongside the local Indigenous language of where these kids are growing up, imagine the psychological, that's what I think, imagine the psyche, psychological change for future generations to have, you know, a linguistic link to the past. And then it's also creating a viable economy because you've got then um, our mob speaking language training up new teacher trainers and um, creating employment and continuing culture at the same time. I mean, it's just such a no-brainer. It makes so much sense to me. What do you think the resistance is to wanting to engage and embed our languages and cultures more than what they're being now? I don't know. It's different. I look at Kyoto Mori in New Zealand and how that, that language has really been accepted into society, into the national identity. I think the difficulty is they've, had, they've got a treaty, you know, in the 1980s their language was um, preserved in the constitution and law. Um, they also have a singular language for an entire country. So I think it's there's a, a simplicity in, in implementing um more widely so I guess on one hand, it's that resistance that we've always had to, to truth-telling and, and to, to an, ex, an, an acceptance but a celebration of, of us, of, of First Nations people in Australia, widely 
in in all structures and 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 all of society's hearts and minds and also you know the complexity of how this would be done would have to be community by community and whether they want it or not of course um it is a it, it would be a complex undertaking but i don't think just because things are complex they're not impossible like you said nice to see that at least we've seen a movement within a generation and within the past two generations um what world do you hope for the next generation coming forward i've got heaps of hope for the next generation i look at like even my young niece she's 14 she's so unwaveringly unwaveringly proud to be barkindji bradtree um she's you know and she will speak up about it and defend that i think our young people are vociferous and so strong and proud and they're done with it so i'm hopeful about you know um the next generations of our mob and um carrying carrying the torch and um and fighting for for our rights um and i think where i guess we're just at that crossroads it's just wait and not waiting but we're just looking to white australia non-indigenous australia to see if they're really committed to this if they're going to this isn't a hashtag moment this is all the way um so we'll see what the what the next year or two bring out in terms of literature because our, our literature was really a response to the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s in america i think our literature in the next 5 years is going to be beyond powerful um and i hope to see you know new voices enter the industry in a really um powerful and you know um if it's angry let it be like like just we just need to hear our yeah we need to hear what we have to say and i think i think what we have to say is so crucial and important and yeah i think publishers are there waiting in the wings for this that was miles franklin winner tara june winch speaking with me rachel hocking for this short black episode of take it black You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to stay deadly and always take it black.